0: Well, if you brought a Bible with you this morning, I want to invite you to turn to 2 Timothy chapter 3. If you don't have your Bible, use your device. I love this time of year. I do. And I I had a pastor friend who uh, I communicate back and forth with. We're on different time schedules. He is suffering for Jesus in Hawaii. And they... However, don't just do a day or a week of Bible school. They do six weeks of vacation Bible school in the summertime. And um, we were talking about that on Facebook, messaging each other back and forth the other day. And he told me, he said, you know, by the time the six weeks is over, he says, man, I'm, I'm wrung out. And I told him, I said, Chris, your advantage is that you're about 15 years younger than me. I said, when you get to my place, you're rung out before it ever starts. <laughs> but I get excited. I, I look around and I see the decorations and I, I listen to our workers. They're getting excited. And I look forward to watching children come into this building every morning. And the older I get, the more nostalgic I become. And this past week, as I was watching this building transform and I was watching people going in and out, carrying things and setting things up and moving things around, I found myself thinking about people who are in glory today. Mrs. Miller, Mrs. Kirkley. I can keep going. Celia Leachman. And my personal favorite, she's still with us today, Trudy Logsden. She's my personal favorite because I know she wanted to kill me. And she didn't. Her husband was our pastor. I remember her looking at me one day and she had her finger right about here. And she said, I would take you to your father, but I know he would beat you within an inch of your life. And then she smiled and that little lady said, Tim... God has a plan for your life. Just don't miss it. That's why I love Bible school. It's our chance to look at kids, some kids who maybe aren't in church any other time during the year, we have the chance to look at them and say, God has a plan for your life. Don't miss it. This is why... I believe so much in the Word of God. I I have people challenge me at times saying, you know, Pastor, you kind of go over the top on this. I don't think so. I hear people all the time telling me, you know, that's the good book. No, it's not the good book. It's the great book. It is the Word of God. And listen, the Bible is different from any other book. And some, some of you are sitting there saying, wait a minute, he preached this last week. Oh, this is a different outline, friends. I want us to know about the Word of God that a lot of people don't understand. And I want to, listen, I don't ever intend to offend anyone. I don't want to, but I want us to be honest with ourselves, okay? This book was not written in English. The Old Testament was written in Hebrew. The New Testament in Greek, not the Greek you would speak if you went to Greece today, but Koine Greek, basically a dead language, There are translations and versions of the Bible, but the final voice as to its meaning is found in the original languages, the heart of God, and the historical context. It's full. It's rich. It's it's deep. The Apostle Paul wrote about two-thirds of our New Testament. They're letters, folks. They're personal letters. Written to individuals and churches and, and people who lived in certain areas. And this morning, I want us to look at two verses that are incredibly familiar. Most of you say, I know these. Yeah, you do. Somebody that writes in the margins of their Bibles goes, Pastor, do you realize how many times you've preached on these verses since you've been here? Yes, I do. And it will not stop me from continuing to do so in the future. I want us to look and see some of the words that Paul wrote to his young protege in the ministry, Timothy. It's in his second letter, third chapter, two verses. But they tell us about this book that you're looking in right now, God's Word. And what it is, where it came from, what it's for, how we're supposed to use it, what it is going to accomplish in our lives if we give God and his Holy Spirit free reign in our lives. And so I want us to look. Consider, read together. If you've got your Bible open to 2 Timothy chapter 3, find verse 16. Once you've done that, if you can and will, I'm going to invite you to stand with me in honor of the reading of God's holy word this morning. 2 Timothy chapter 3, beginning at verse 16, the apostle Paul writes, he says, All scripture, I like that. I'm just going to stop there and make a commentary, all right? All scripture, not part of it. Not the parts you're comfortable with. Not the parts that you like or the parts that fit into your life well. Not the miracles that you can accept and not the ones that you don't want to accept. All Scripture is God-breathed. That means it is inspired. He has breathed into it. All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped For every, pause again, every good work. Not some, not a few, not just the ones you pick, but for every good work. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word. Would you pray with me? Father, I just pray that in these next few moments as we spend this time together considering the truth of your word, touch our hearts. Lord, we live in a a skeptical, cynical world. And we need to be reminded of who you are, what you're doing and what you have done and what you want to do in the days to come. I, I just pray that you would open our hearts and minds to receive your truth and give us the courage to embrace it and walk in it no matter what others may think or say. Now, Father, teach us when we're ready to listen. But we pray this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen you may be seated I was reading a magazine article a while back I thought it was interesting told the story of two two friends who were going on a trip together one was an atheist the other one was a devout Christian the atheist came by to pick up the Christian and he went to his house knocked on the door went in and and he looked at his friend and said you ready to go and the guy said well I just got to put a few more things in my bag and I'll be ready to go he said, I've got to put a, a guidebook, a lamp, a mirror, a microscope, a telescope, a volume of poetry, a few biographies I'd like to read, some old letters, some music, a hammer, and a few books I've been studying in my, in my suitcase, and we'll go. His friend looked at him and said, dude, you'll never get all that stuff in your bag. And he said, oh yeah, and he picked up his Bible, put it in the corner of his suitcase, and closed the lid. Because you see, the Word of God has all of those things in it. It's a book that is different than any other book in history. I want you to think about it with me together this evening or this morning, just for a few minutes. We won't be long. I want to tell you a few things that I think are incredibly important. The first is that the Bible is God's book. It is God's book. Listen, this book claims itself to be inspired. Did you hear what we read a moment ago? All Scripture is God-breathed. It was given by God to humans for humans. It is the written record of how God has been revealing himself throughout history from the very beginning of time to the present and how he will continue to do it even beyond this day into the future until the end of time. That's why Paul wrote these words without any hesitation, without any doubt. He says, All scripture is God breathed, it's useful. It's useful. I've had people say, well, this book's outdated. It's not relevant anymore. There's no reason to have a Bible. It's useful. It has a purpose. It's useful for what? For teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, for training in righteousness. You want to know how to live right? Get in this book. You want to know how to do right? Get in this book. You want to know how to make your marriage, your home, your family, your workplace right? Get in this book. You want to know how to make your schools better? Get in this book. It's useful. It's useful. That's what Paul was telling Timothy. Say, well, I don't understand it. Oh, that's part of the beauty of it. It is inexhaustible, folks. Do you realize that scholars have been studying this word for centuries and are still trying to figure it all out? No one has plumbed the full depths of what this book says. And they never will. Because it is God-breathed. We cannot comprehend fully the mind of God. Only what he shows to us, and he doesn't show all of us the same things. You know one of the things that amazes me about this book? I have people tell me, well, it's not inspired. You just say that. That's preacher talk. Okay, it's preacher talk, but I believe it to be true. And I'm going to explain to you why. Because the unity of the biblical text, in spite of its variety, is amazing. It is beyond human ability to think that over 40 writers wrote all of this across a time span of 1,500 plus years, and yet they carried the same theme from the very first words to the very last words. I mean, you open this book, and do you know what it's about? I don't care where you turn. It's about Jesus. From the very beginning at creation, he was there. And John over in the New Testament tells us that he was there. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And he tells us that everything that was made was made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. Folks, it's all about Jesus from beginning to end. Well, no, it's just men. No, it's not just men. In fact, God addressed that very argument. Do you realize that? God knew just how arrogant egotistical and stubborn his creation was going to be. And he knew that there were going to be people like me. Listen, I'm arrogant, I'm egotistical, I'm, I'm stubborn. But d- before you get too smug, nod your head, you are too. We all are. It's the nature of us beasts. He knew we were going to argue and debate this issue, so he made sure that it was written down. And in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 21, you can read this. Prophecy never had its origin in the will of man. But men spoke from God as they were carried along by His Holy Spirit. See, that's God saying, don't just try to push this off on the guys who were holding the pens. They simply wrote and said what I told them to. And that's the reason that this one theme carries through. It's not because of who the writers were, it's because of who the author is. He was able to carry that central theme and that central character all the way through. The prophetic messages of Scripture and then their fulfillment indicate that this word is something out of the ordinary. Over and over we read about what will happen and it does. You know what? This book is also indestructible. Kings and kingdoms have come against it. Nations have tried to get rid of it rulers have tried to prove that it had no power. Can I just tell you something? All of those nations and kingdoms have fallen. All of those rulers are dead and gone. God's word is still here in our hands, and we're still reading it this morning, my friends. It is indestructible. God says that his word will never pass away. Not one jot or tittle will be fulfilled, or not fulfilled. None of it will be taken away, and it influences people. It changes lives. It's universal in nature. Hey, what do you mean by that? Are you a universalist? No, I'm not a universalist. But this book is universal in nature. It touches the hearts of people all over the world. It does not matter what nation they are in, what color their skin is, what ethnicity they belong to, what language they speak. They hear the word of God and it begins to work in their hearts and lives. Folks, this is God's book. It has a power and an authority in it that none of us can understand. We simply know that it impacts us. And when I say that, what I mean is really this. The Bible is a book for living. I've had people say, well, you know, it's just another old book. No, 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 no. This is a book for living. It's a book to live by and die with. Is say, what do you mean by that? You'd show me any other book that explains to you how you can be saved, forgiven, and have eternal life. I've never found that book. People have said, well, I showed you the Book of Mormon. Are you kidding me? That book's got more holes in it than a screen door. I'm talking about the real Word of God. It, this is the book that when you open it, it explains the plan of Salvation. It starts off in a place that none of us like to address, that we're all sinners. God's word says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And none of us like to hear that. We don't, we don't want to acknowledge that because, see, that's kind of self-deprecating, isn't it? We don't want to go there. Don't tell me I'm wrong. Don't tell me I've sinned. But in First John 1, 8, we read, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us. We're all sinners. Every one of us in this room, it does not matter who you are, how young or how old, how good or how bad, what position you may hold, what office you may keep. We are all sinners. And there's a penalty for sin. But there's a gift that offsets the penalty. See, Paul wrote to the Romans and he said the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. Well, how in the world can God do that? It's easy. You know why? Because God loved the world so much that He gave His one and only Son so that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. The redemption price was paid by Jesus when He went to the cross. You mean God loved me that much? Absolutely. Paul says in Romans 5, 8 that God demonstrated His love for us in this. That while we were still sinners... Christ died for us. Did you hear that? While we were still sinners, not after we were changed, not after we got our lives right, not after we turned over a new leaf, not after we got back in church, not after we got our our home settled, no. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That's how God reveals his love. It also tells me something else that I'm going to make straight to you right here. You want to be saved? You want to be saved? Well, that's kind of weak. I hope you're all saved. You're saying, well, he's not talking to me. If you're not a believer in Jesus Christ, I want you to understand something. I want you to understand what it says, that salvation is in Jesus Christ. I'm going to be as politically incorrect as I can possibly be, okay? It is not through Buddha. It is not through Muhammad. It is not through Zoroaster. It is not through any other religion or ism you want to study. You can take them all. You can put them all in one can, set the whole thing on fire, and you know what you've done? Absolutely nothing. Because all of those people have lived and they have died. And they are dead. Jesus lived and died and he rose again and he lives today and is seated at the right hand of glory, interceding on behalf of his children. He is the only one who is still living. And that's why he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. None of those others count. Only Jesus. Acts chapter 16. You remember? Paul and Silas were thrown into jail. God turned them loose. That Philippian jailer found himself before them. He said, "Sirs, what must I do to be saved? What did they tell him? Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Not only that, but listen, they went a step further and said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and your household. You know what happens when a man gets saved? Usually turns his house inside out. If he truly is born again and Jesus Christ becomes Lord of his life, it turns his home inside out. They say, Well, listen, I don't believe that it's that easy. I don't believe it happens that way. You're wrong. Romans chapter 10 is very plain and very clear. There's no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and he richly blesses all those who call upon him. For everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. God's word is the only book where you can find a plan to be born again. But it doesn't stop there. You see, this book is a book for living, not just because it tells us how to have life, but it also tells us what comes after we're born again, what needs to happen after salvation. God's Word explains to us how to live daily. If you've got your Bible open, I want you to put your finger right there, and I want you to go back with me to the Gospel of Luke, because I want you to see this. I don't want to just read it to you. I don't want to just say it to you. I want you to look with me in the Gospel of Luke, the ninth chapter. I want you to see these words. People say, what comes after I'm saved? What happens after I give my life to Christ? What happens to me after I surrender to him and make him my Lord, my Savior, my master, my boss? Here it is. Luke chapter 9, verse 23 and following. You can see it there. He said to them all, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me will save it. What good is it for a man to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit his very soul? If anyone is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his glory, in the glory of the Father and his holy angels." Deny yourself. Take up your cross. Follow him. Jesus left his marching orders for us in Matthew chapter 28. He was getting ready to leave. You remember? He told his disciples, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go make disciples and baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teach them everything I've commanded you. Sounds like a big job. Don't worry about it. I'll be with you always to the very end of the age. We're not doing it in our own strength. How do you survive in a world that's so cynical, so skeptical, that's always on the attack, always prodding? Go to Ephesians chapter 6, and you can find the answer there, verses 10 through 20. He tells us to put on the whole armor of God, and that once we have put on the armor of God, we are to stand. There's no retreat, not this army. We're on the attack. This is God's book. It's a book for living. But let me tell you one more thing before I stop this morning. Because I think this is important. I want you to know that this is a futuristic book. It looks ahead. It's not just an old book that looks back at everything that has happened. It looks forward to everything that's going to happen. One of the unique characteristics about the Bible the one thing that separates it from every other book is the prophecies. Prophecies that are found from Genesis all the way through to Revelation on nearly every page and literally hundreds upon hundreds upon hundreds of these prophecies have been fulfilled perfectly. I could spend the next three, four, five, six hours Taking prophecy apart. How many of y'all just not worried about lunch? <laughs> That's the answer I need a little laughter. So let me abbreviate. You open this book and you read about a Redeemer who will come, a Messiah. The government will be upon his shoulders. And, and you know what? God's what? Well, anybody could guess that. Okay. Pick this one out of a hat. He's going to be born of a virgin. Not only that, he's not going to be born in the capital city of Jerusalem. Not in a palace, no. He's going to be born in Bethlehem, according to Micah. The scriptures tell us that he would be rejected. That he will bear our iniquity. That he would die hanging upon a tree. But death would not keep him. God's word tells us that the Gentiles were going to be included in God's blessing. I'm going to promise you this the Jews never would have written that. God had to put it in there. They had no intention of including the Gentiles. God went so far as to say that the blessing he was pouring out into Israel was going to reach out and bless all the nations of the earth. Those have all been fulfilled. Did you know that there are prophecies that are in the process of being fulfilled today and a few that are yet to be fulfilled? They say, "Well, what's being fulfilled today?" Well, the preaching of the gospel to all nations. Jesus said that that had to happen, and it is happening. We're, we're still several nations short. We're still several people groups from getting where we're going, but we're making inroads to that. The gospel is being preached all over the world today. We're told in chapter 1 of, of Acts that Jesus is coming again. The return of Christ is foretold. That's got to happen yet. We're told that when he comes back, there is going to be a first resurrection, and those who have fallen asleep in the Lord are going to rise up to meet him in the air. That has yet to happen. We're told there is going to be a great apostasy or a falling away. I'm not so sure that's not happening right now today even as I stand before you. We're told that the Antichrist will be revealed. The battle of Armageddon is yet to come. I could go on and on. Let's just get to the end of it. There's going to be judgment and when the day of judgment comes the unredeemed will be cast into hell and the redeemed will be seen entering into heaven's eternal glory. My friend, there are still yet some things that must happen. Personally, I'm waiting on the trumpet and a shout. I'm waiting on my Lord to come back and call his people home. When that happens, it is going to usher in an ending like nothing Hollywood could ever imagine or write. And it's all found right here. And oh, my friends, please hear me. Don't be too quick to discard this book, even if the world calls it foolishness. It wasn't too long ago, I was visiting with a man and I was sharing with him out of God's Word, and he told me, he said, that's stupid. It can't be like that. It can't work like that. And I said, why? And he said, I've never experienced it. Nothing ever works until it does. The world calls it foolishness. By the way, did you know God knew they were going to do that? He addressed that in 1 Corinthians 18. when he said the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it's the power of God. I'm pleading with you this morning, brothers and sisters, those of you who know in your heart and your mind even that you do not belong to Jesus Christ, I am pleading with you this morning, consider the source of this book Consider its purpose. Consider its ending. We live in a world that's changing. It changes quickly, and I know that. We talk about it all the time amongst ourselves. But I want to tell you something. If you haven't listened, I want you to listen right now. If you haven't heard anything I've had to say, please hear what I'm about to say to you. All right? Everybody got their ears open? Some of you need to open your eyes as well. All right? I want you to hear what I'm about to tell you. The world changes. Truth never does. Did you hear what I said? The world changes. Truth never does. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. The truth never changes. Our God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. The truth never changes. What's that mean? It means one day, the truth, Jesus Christ is coming back. And those who know him, those who are living, and those who have gone to sleep in the Lord are going to be resurrected to meet him. And we will dwell with him forever. That's truth. But this is also the truth. Those who have heard this message and reject Christ will be eternally condemned, separated from him. And that, my friends, also is truth. This book tells me something. It tells me that God is revealing himself to people. He has been since the beginning and he will be to the end. He is revealing himself to people and he is calling people to himself. He is calling people to come and be part of his kingdom, to come and be part of his family. I have one question for you and I quit. Do you hear him calling this morning? Listen, if you belong to Him, rejoice. If you don't, would you listen? Just be still and listen. Do you hear Him calling you today? Come to Jesus. You will never be the same again. Let's bow our heads together. In just a moment, we're going to stand together and sing a song of invitation, of commitment. Not because I want to put anybody on the spot or pick on anybody. It's nothing like that. It, listen, this morning, you've heard how to be saved. You've heard how to become a child of God. You've heard how to be born again. I, I can't not give you the opportunity to respond to that. And it may be that you're sitting there and you're somewhat confused and you're saying, I I know I need this. I know I don't have this. I, I want this. Awesome. When we stand and begin to sing, would you just come and take me by the hand and say, Pastor, I want this. I won't embarrass you or put you on the spot, but I'd love to share with you how you can become a child of God today. We just want to show you from the Word of God. We'll pray with you. We'll help you. We'll try to answer questions you might have. Our point is to give you the opportunity. Perhaps you're sitting there and you're saying, I am his child, but you know what? I I haven't been sharing him. I haven't been showing people who I am in Christ. Maybe God needs to do a little more work in your life. Would you let him do that today? Would you let him begin it? Maybe you're sitting there, brother or sister, and you're saying, I belong to him. I'm living it. I'm sharing it. All is good. Praise God for you. Now, can I ask you to do something for me? Would you pray that this week God's Spirit would speak to some children and call them to himself? Would you make that your mission? There is power in the Word of God. And friends, if the church of Jesus Christ will unleash that power and let God work in and through our lives, who knows what a difference it might make in the world we're part of. Is he calling you today? What will you do? Father, I thank you this morning for your word. A powerful word, a challenging word. A word that confronts us right where we live. Father, help us not to be silent on the sidelines as the world goes rushing by to its end. You've called us to serve you've called us to share you've called us to tell and to go and yet too often we get caught up in the world and its activities and we miss the opportunities you place right before us Father I pray this morning that you have been and will continue to speak to hearts if there's someone here who doesn't know you draw them to yourself If there is a brother or sister in this room who has become the prodigal, they've gone away and and now they're trying to find their way back home, call them to yourself. Father, if there are some here that you're just simply calling to serve you, to be faithful to you every day, call them and help them to hear. Father, I pray you take these next few moments. As you've spoken to our hearts, help us to hear, be obedient in our response.